Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Everybody called their moms? If you haven't, go do it now. You won't offend me at all. She needs it more than I need to have you in this room. My name's uh, Eric. I'm the pastor of musical worship here at E3, and I uh, hope you guys have had a great, a great um, Mother's Day already. And I want to talk to you a little bit, kind of inspired by, by Mother's Day, but I want to take a look at, at some... Uh, some other aspects of, I guess, uh, not just motherhood, but really, really what it means to be a woman. And the last time I checked, most mothers are women. I don't know, it's a crazy biology thing, but that's what they tell me. Um, and what it means to, to not just be a mother, but what it means to be a woman, and especially according to, to the Bible, uh, because I actually believe that the Bible has some pretty revolutionary and profound things to say about uh, femininity and about womanhood, and, and that's what I want to talk to you guys today about. I, I was trying to wrap my brain around how to kind of frame this up. I went first to the place I know best, and that's music, that's rock and roll, so I googled 100 best mother songs of all time, right? 100 best mother. Just I was curious to know, like, I wonder how many mother songs I know. Um, this is a little bit of a suspect list. I'm not quite sure if I agree with it because I don't think that Dear Mama by Tupac is the number one best mother song of all time. Maybe top five, I don't know. But number one, I'm not sure. They have number one. Um, but uh, I don't know, maybe you guys know some of these too. Uh, mother and Child Reunion by Paul Simon. Anybody know that? It's the mother and child. Um, Mama Told Me Not to Come by Three Dog Night. Great song. Uh, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. I feel like that's cheating a little bit. I feel like that's like a holiday theme kind of got in. Uh, 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 Mama, he's crazy by the Judds. Yes, Eric Case knows country. Um, Mama said, knock you out. It's a great name for a message if I uh, say so myself. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Lots of good advice in this list too. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cut. Mother by Danzig. What? One of my favorites, My Guitar Wants to Kill Your Mama by uh, Frank Zappa. This was not helpful at all, uh, let's be honest, uh, trying to get this list together. Um, I have this sort of, uh, I guess this, this thought that maybe in the time that we have together tonight, we can talk about womanhood and femininity in a way that gets past sort of Hallmark card uh, concepts, you know. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Mother's Day is essentially, it's like, like a kind of an invented holiday, invented in the 20th century. And I don't know who invented it. I'm sure somebody's made a ton of money off of it. But it's like, it's like a Hallmark holiday. It's much more than that. But, I mean, it all revolves around these things, right, these cards, and uh, I, I need to be clear here. I bought my card on Friday, okay? I was ahead of the game, okay? But I wanted to get some cards just to kind of see, you know, kind of what concepts were out there. So I went to Walmart last night to get these cards. I'm going to tell you, the card aisle on, at Walmart on Saturday before Mother's Day is like the saddest thing you have ever seen before in your life. It is full of men, you know, that are looking like part terrified, 
part perplexed and part annoyed, you know, that they have to be doing this on their Saturday evening. They're tearing the cards apart, and they're like, you know, kids are crying. They're like, here, this is from you to your mom. Sign it. And the kid's like, Dad, I don't know. Um, so I just grabbed some cards, you know, and, and I've got this strange thing with, with cards because I don't feel like cards ever quite encapsulate what I want to say to my wife. You know, my wife's name is, is Shana, and, um, and uh, she's a wonderful woman, and, and I feel like I buy these cards and like they get at some aspect of who she is, but they never like kind of like get it all in there. So you know, like, so this one, it's got a little cute little teddy bear on it, a little flower. It says, mom, wherever you are, love and happiness blossom. That's true. Okay, that's true. But this is not all of who my mother was to me or who my wife is. This one's got a cute little baby making a little kissy face. Babies are babies always big, uh, big with the with the with the with the folks. So uh, a funny little kiss. It says, "Here's a big Mother's Day kiss just for you." Yeah, I want my kids to show affection to their mom, but Mother's Day and who my mom is to me and who my wife is in our family is much much bigger than this card. And it just kind of goes on. And on and on. In fact, a lot of times for birthdays and, and, and holidays like this, I don't even, I buy blank cards because I get so frustrated with like what in my mind are some lame poems. I'm just like, I'd rather just write my own lame poem than use somebody else's lame poem. And in fact, oh, there's, there's one more. This is great because this just shows you like Walmart totally knows their business because this is the first thing you see when you walk into Walmart on Saturday night before Mother's Day. A whole rack of these guys. And like I have this theory that these are for the guys that have forgotten everything. That they don't even know is Mother's Day till like six o'clock. And they like run out and they're like, I don't know what to do. So I'll just buy the largest thing that I can find. So here's a big card. And like you might, you know, like don't let it fall on you. Because it, it says, because you're one of the people who make this day so special. Hope yours is happy. Because I forgot it and bought this big mammoth card. <laughs> anyway. So I've got in my mind that somehow... Uh, Mother's Day and somehow womanhood and femininity is, is bigger than these Hallmark cards, as important as they are, and they express great sentiments. And I sent one to my mom and I and, and gave one to my wife. But there's got to be something more. And that's kind of what I want to talk to us about. And I just want to take some stories from the Bible. And I want to tell you guys, this, this time tonight uh, is mainly for the women in the room. Like, this is kind of what I want to speak. And, and for a while, I was torn. I was like, well, shouldn't we just get a woman to kind of just talk, you know? Um, but I want to tell you, like, that I really had it laid on my heart that these were words I wanted to speak to you. As a representative of the staff here, as a pastor, as a man, th- what I want to say tonight, I want to say to you. So uh, that's kind of what I want to do. But uh, before we go any further, I'd love to uh, ask you guys to pray with me, pray for me for this time that we have, because Lord knows I need it. So if you guys would bow your heads. Heavenly Father, I uh, acknowledge your presence here. I ask your Holy Spirit to strengthen me. I ask your Holy Spirit to sustain me. I ask you to focus my mind, God. Lord, I pray that, that we would learn from you tonight. I pray that we would learn from your story, and I pray that you would um, just speak to 
the women in the room tonight uh, and the mothers in the room tonight and just send messages of affirmation. God, for, for those of us in this room that uh, Mother's Day brings up feelings not of celebration but of pain and loss, God, I pray that you would be with those who are hurting as well. God, uh, may they know that we stand with them in this day that sometimes is, is difficult. And God, lastly, I just pray uh, again that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pure in your sight. Amen. All right, well, I want to start off uh, talking tonight about uh, actually kind of uh, piggybacking off of something that Pastor Mark talked about last week. Last week, he, uh, he talked a, a bit about the book of Ephesians and how in the book of Ephesians, this guy named Paul talks about five positions of the church that the Holy Spirit kind of gives us. And they were, you know, pastors and evangelists and teachers and apostles. And then there's this word prophet. And he talked about how, you know, a prophet has a a difficult vocation in the life of the church and uh, that they sometimes are somehow supernaturally gifted to, to see the future. And to kind of see what's coming down the road, so to speak, towards God's people and towards the church. And I want to start off our time by sort of t- talking about prophets. Um, and first of all, I, I want to talk about it in sort of a different way than, than what Mark did. Uh, prophets certainly are gifted oftentimes with the ability to see somehow in the future. I can't explain it. I don't know. I believe that it exists. But there's another role that prophets play in God's story. And it's actually a little bit more, I guess, understandable, although no less difficult to deal with. And, and it's this, that prophets are people who are gifted to sort of understand and see and explain the world from God's point of view. So these are people throughout God's story that don't just see what everybody else sees. They see it from God's perspective. And they're able to say in very intense language, God is not happy or God is pleased with you. This is going on. This is wrong. This is great. So on and so forth. Whatever they're reacting to. But the prophets, particularly in the Old Testament, they, they serve this function where they call the community's attention to where they're straying, and they speak with strong language. In fact, uh, when a prophet speaks in the Bible, they almost always end with this phrase in older translations. It's quite intense. You know, they'll say, God is not happy, blah, blah, blah. And then they end with this. They say, thus saith the Lord, you know? And, and it's like, uh, you know, the thunder rumbles in the background and, and whatnot. Um, but prophets see the world and they understand the world from God's perspective. And that makes them uncomfortable to be around because they're not usually comfortable talking about, I don't know, you know, last night's episode of Desperate Housewives or something like that. They just want to get straight to it. And in addition... Because they want to get sort of straight to the issues at hand, a friend of mine once said, you know what a prophet does is a prophet makes you choose. A prophet is not happy with apathy. A prophet says, it's either this way or that way, and you have got to make a choice. And because of all this, prophets usually are fairly lonely people. Because I don't know about you, but these are not the people I invite to like dinner parties. Hey, let's get a whole room of prophets. That'd be awesome. They tend to be lonely people. 
the, the prototypical prophet in the Old Testament is a guy named Moses. Moses is the model from which all Old Testament prophets flow. In the guy, he's a guy in the book of Exodus. And, and he's the first guy, A, that says, thus saith the Lord. And, and he has this relationship with God, with Yahweh, where he sees what the, the nation of Israel is doing. And he goes and he's like, God is not happy. This is going on, guys. This is the road you are on. Thus saith the Lord, get your act together. And after that, all of these prophets in the Old Testament, if, you're, if you've read the Old Testament, there's books of the Bible named after all these guys. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos. All of these guys are kind of like, they're, they're filled with this, this fire. And they're so, usually they're just so angry. Uh, and they always are, are just saying, what's wrong with the world? Very, very little good news, good stuff going on in the prophets. But the reason I want to tell you this is that the rabbis in history identify somewhere between 48 and 50 Old Testament prophets, depending on the rabbi. Rabbi, they're 48 to 50. There's the big guys who, who uh, have books of the Bible named after, and after them, and then there's some other minor characters. But I didn't know this until recently that the rabbis also identify six to eight women in the Old Testament that they would consider prophets. And here's just a list of, of who they are. Sarah, who was uh, married to Abram, Abraham. Uh, Miriam, who was Moses' sister and was the first uh, to celebrate the crossing of the Red Sea. She wrote sort of a celebration song. Deborah, Hannah, Abigail, Esther. These are all human beings that God gifted with the ability to name what's going on in the world and to speak honestly and courageously to their culture about what they saw. And the reason uh, I want to kind of tell you that is that I believe that there are uh, women in this community who are gifted with courage and gifted with the sight to see things from God's perspective. And I want you to know that you stand in the long line of women prophets. I, I've known personally at least one woman in my life that I would say hands down is a prophet. Her name was Sandra. We knew her at a, a previous church that I served with. And it was exactly like that definition of a, of a prophet. I asked Sandra to, to come over for dinner at my house one night. Uh, Shana was there. And Sandra served with me on my worship team. And that's just kind of what I do. I like to get to know the people I serve with. And so I'm like, hey, you know, let's just talk about life, Sandra. And which Sandra's reply was like, yeah, we could talk about life. But really what I would need to talk to you about is some things that I see that are wrong in your ministry and some things that I see that are wrong in our church community and that just aren't acceptable to God. And Eric, I think you need to be a part of fixing it. Are you willing to be a part of fixing it? And it was kind of like one side of me is like, body blow, body blow, ah, ah. But another part of me was like, okay, I, I hear this. I mean, I, I trusted her. And, and you got to understand this about prophets. If you run into a prophet, a true prophet, they don't do this to make themselves look good. 
And they don't do it to make you feel bad. They do it because they can't help it. God has laid this on their heart in such a way that they can't keep their mouth shut. And Sandra couldn't. And so for years, I walked with her through this. Every time, like, well, I'm going out for coffee with Sandra. This is going to be painful. (laughs) But I trusted her, and I listened to her. And 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 as, as well, like, Shana and I sat with Sandra at times, and we wept with her because she was devastated by some of the things she had to say to people. And so what I want to say, first of all, is if you are a woman in this community and you see things from God's perspective and you can explain the world from God's perspective, we need your voice. You are not just an arrogant woman that won't shut up. You stand in the line of biblical prophets who are female. And this community needs you and welcomes your voice. Amen? Amen. I was reading, uh, I've been reading Steve Jobs' autobiography or biography for a while. And I don't know if you guys know Steve Jobs' story. Starts Apple Computer, right? Gets uh, filthy rich. And then he's actually ousted. He's, he's uh, driven out of the company, starts Pixar, makes Toy Story and, and, uh, and a couple other f- pictures. And then he's invited back to Apple because Apple had begun spinning out of control down, down the tubes. So he's, he's welcomed back to, to rescue the company. And he starts in and everything's going great. Like they, un- they unveil the iMac and, and Apple starts to turn around and the board comes to him and they're like, Steve Jobs, we need to compensate you. We need to, we need to settle on a compensation package for you. And so he's like, well, I really don't want people to think that I've come back for the money. So I'll tell you what, here's my salary. Just make my salary like 50 cents a year and then throw in another quarter if I achieve, you know, the, the forecasts. Like, okay. But then they say, Steve, you know, essentially like, how about some stock options? Like, Steve, this would be really, really smart for you to take some stock options because we think the company's turning around. He's like, I don't want the stock options either. Well, in the time, this first two years that Steve Jobs was back during this time, Apple's stock started at $14 a share and went to $102 a share. And at the end of that two years, had Steve Jobs taken the advice, those stock options would have been worth $400 million. And he turned it down. And I tell you that story because uh, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about wisdom. And I want to talk to you about wisdom from a biblical perspective. And a lot of us, we think wisdom is like really good advice. Like, hey, take that stock option. Like, hey, buy this stock. Hey, like, don't eat yellow snow. <laughs> like, like, that's what we think wisdom is. People who really know how to live life well and, and, and get through things nicely and, and they give us advice and that's considered wise. But from a biblical perspective, wisdom operates in a whole different category. And I wanna spend a few minutes talking to you guys, uh, particularly about uh, Proverbs chapter eight, which is, a chapter all about wisdom. So I just want to read some of the text and I want to kind of point out a couple things that are just right there. 
Verse 1 starts, listen as wisdom calls out, hear as understanding raises her voice. On the hilltop along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroads. By the gates at the entrance to the town, on the road leading in, she cries aloud. And then wisdom speaks. I call to all of you, to all of you. I raise my voice to all people. You simple people, use good judgment. You foolish people, show some understanding. Listen to me. I have important things to tell you. Everything I say is right, for I speak the truth and detest every kind of deception. So, At this point, wisdom still sounds like, hey, I just want to tell you, I just want to give you some good things to think about. But from a a gender perspective, what is wisdom? Is it a man? It's female. Wisdom in the Jewish tradition, for, for whatever reason, was revealed as a woman, as a female personification, so to speak. As the chapter goes on, things get a little bit more difficult to understand. So I want to draw your attention to verse 22. This is wisdom still speaking. Now, hear how we go beyond good advice into something altogether different. Wisdom says this, The Lord formed me from the beginning before he created anything else. I was appointed in ages past, at the very first before the earth began. I was born before the oceans were created, before the springs bubbled forth their waters, before the mountains were formed, before the hills. I was born before he had made the earth and the fields and the first handfuls of soil. We're talking about creation. We're talking about Genesis 1. We're talking about the beginning of the story. And wisdom is there. I was there when he established the heavens, when he drew the horizon on the oceans. I was there when he set the clouds above, when he established springs deep in the earth. I was there when he set the limits of the seas so they would not spread beyond their boundaries. And when he marked off the earth's foundations, I was the architect at his side. That's a whole uh, great distance away from just invest in Apple stock. That's creation. That's something altogether different. I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence and how happy I was with the world he created. How I rejoiced with the human family. So somehow, wisdom is there at creation. This feminine, female presence has some kind of hand, this text says an architect, in the actual creation of the world. And this is a mystery. I can't pretend to understand it. But over time, the biblical writers, the New Testament writers, came to say, well, is wisdom somehow the Holy Spirit? Because it seems to have some some connection points between the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is feminine. I'm just saying that Wisdom and the Holy Spirit seem to function similarly to some of the New Testament writers and some of the rabbis as well. And then the chapter ends like this. Verse 35, wisdom is still speaking. It says, whoever finds me finds what? Life. 
and receives favor from the Lord. But those who miss me injure themselves. All who hate me love death. Here's the bottom line for wisdom. For a Jewish mind, for a mind like Jesus' mind even, for a mind of the first church, when you said wisdom, it wasn't just good advice. Wisdom meant a godly life. Wisdom showed you how to obey God. And with the way we express obeying God at E3 is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. And wisdom does that to the Jewish mind. And wisdom is personified as a woman. So it's not just good advice. It's a part of creation, and it reveals how to live a godly life. I've, I've been blessed to have some women in my life that I would say personified wisdom in this direction, like in this uh, uh, arena. Women who I, who I sat down with, and they would say, Eric, here's what you need to do to arrange your life in such a way that you can know God more. And so what I would say to you here is if you are a woman like that, if you sit down with other women or with men even or with your children and you say to them, here's how to live a godly life, a God word life. It's beyond just good advice. You are operating in the tradition of wisdom. And God is not afraid of your femininity. Because he says, somehow, there is a feminine presence at the beginning of creation helping him to accomplish his purposes in the world. And the last thing I want to kind of talk to you guys about is also out of the book of Proverbs. And it's the last chapter of the book, Proverbs 31. Uh, And I just want to kind of start off by... uh, saying a word about sometimes how I'm stressed out about how we use the Bible. Because I I think sometimes we take things in the Bible and we take things that are descriptions of beautiful things and we turn them into checklists, you know? And so what you might have is you you might find a description in the Bible that says, you know, here's, here's what a great, like, just a great leader looks like. And we take those over time and we turn them into, like, checklists and then we we hold them up against the leader and all we see are like shortcomings. And instead of a beautiful description, what we have is a, a measuring stick that's not quite so beautiful. And Proverbs 31 risks being that. It's a beautiful description of a woman, of a wife. But over time, it's risked at times turning into just a checklist and let me tell you something, guys, here's what you, here's what you don't do, okay? Husbands or, or guys in relationship. You don't take Proverbs 31 and hold it up next to your wife and be like, well, I got good news, honey, and I got bad news. That's not how you use these words. I just want to speak to you out of the first phrase of of the section of scripture uh, proverbs 31 verse 10 says this who can find a virtuous and capable wife 
She's more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. Husbands, say amen. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Husbands, say amen again. Okay. Verse 10 says, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? Great words. But I want to talk to you about what the Hebrew actually is for the phrase virtuous and capable wife. And it is this phrase, eshet child. Everybody say that together. Eshet. Okay. What's interesting about this phrase is that child or chayel, uh, it's spelled differently, it can mean virtuous. It can mean capable. But it is actually a military term. It's actually a term that is associated with the way a commander or a general would arrange his troops and deal with his troops. And therefore, it has associated with it strength, courage, determination. One commentator says uh, that it could be better translated to say, uh, who can find a woman of valor? And the reason this is significant, because I know women, I am married to a woman who is incredibly strong. I'm married to a woman who works with mostly men in a male-dominated field, and she struggles sometimes with looking at the image of femininity that might just say, can you be a little bit more weak? Can you be a little bit more meek? Can you talk a little less? Can you not be such a thorn in the side of us men because we really just want to watch TV right now? And it says to her, this says to me, that is not biblical womanhood. The biblical womanhood can be strong can be a woman of valor. If you are strong and, and men are looking at you going like, why, why are you, like, why won't you just let me be? You are a shet child. You are a woman of valor and strength. And that's worth something. And this should not surprise us because it is the story of God from the beginning. Genesis 1, God is creating the heavens, the earth. He creates the land, the sea, the animals, the birds. And at the culmination of it all, we find this. Then God said, let us make human beings. And what does the text say? In our what? Image. To be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own, what? Image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them in his image. Notice that it doesn't say he created folks. He didn't create y'all. He didn't create some. 
beings. He created male and, say it, female. From the beginning, God created uh, uh, something that was community, something that was mutual, something that said, this cannot be divided. This has to be an expression of me uh, divided between some folks who are going to be male and some folks who are going to be female. But you need each other. It can't be a one-way thing. It is a community of mutuality common. And like, yeah, like, so uh, animal farm, the phrase, you know, well, we're all equal, but some of us are just more equal than others. That's not the way God's church works. That's not the way God's church works. God pours his gifts out of all of us, and we're all called to partner with him in the redemption of the world. So here's, what I, here's the way I'd like to end our time. I actually want to invite all the women in the room, not just the mothers, all the women in the room to stand up. And I just want to say some words to you that kind of sum up what we've been talking about here tonight. I just want you to receive these. Uh, women, ladies, sisters, daughters. When you tell us the way the world works, from God's perspective, when you are prophetic, you are a shet child, women of valor, and we need you. When you express wisdom and you give words that help people obey and find God, you are a shet child, women of valor. And this community needs your voice. And other women need your voice. And other men need your voice of wisdom. When you love your children sacrificially, when you're there for the bruised knees and you're there to, to bind up the scratches, you are a shet child, women of valor. And we need you. We need you. When you are strong, when you are strong and courageous, you are a shet child. This community needs your strength and we need your voices. When you are an icon reflecting God's beauty and love to a hurting world, you are a shet child. Women of valor. And God needs you, all of you. And don't ever let anyone tell you differently. Now, I'd like the rest of us to stand up. We're just going to have closing prayer, and then we're going to be sent out. This stuff is more than greeting cards. The sentiments of the Bible are more than just nice, fuzzy concepts that we can buy for $3.99. This stuff is meant to change the world, change our world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would search our community. First of all, I pray for the men. I guess you, I would pray that you would search our hearts. Challenge us, God, where we are not 
looking at our women, our, our daughters, our, our sisters, our wives, our mothers as a shet child. And God, help us to reframe our thinking, to see them as you see them, strong, nurturing, prophetic. God, for my sisters and daughters and friends in Christ, I ask you, God, to throw off any chains that might bind them from, from just saying, God, take me and, 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 and have, have me do whatever you want me to do, God. God, I pray that this room would be just filled of women of valor who would claim their gifts that you've given them to reflect your love and your beauty out to the world. God, now send us out to be prophetic and wise in unity and in community, men and women created by God tonight for your purposes and your redemption. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all God's people said, Amen.